You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. I would like to introduce myself first. My name is Anna Barge and I am a Marie Curie School Boska uh, Fellow and Trinity College uh, also in, in Long Room Hub. And I am writing a book on Eastern European environments about environmental history and cultural memory uh, in the Soviet era. And uh, would like, of course, to thank you for coming uh, on Friday evening. And it is an honor for me to be here. I am inviting you to listen to my presentation about a beautiful Białowieża forest. But first the motto. Forests are good to think because they themselves think. Forests think, I want to take this seriously. These are the words that I would like to open my presentation, uh, words that were um, also the opening uh, for the book, anthropological book, How do Forests Think? My father was a soldier, as was my grandfather and my great-grandfather. There is nothing original in this statement since all Polish men and their sons were involved in military service. When you take into account that Poland fought for independence during 1795 and 1918 and 1939-1989, being a soldier meant not only a profession, but a patriotic and full devotion. The forest was a frequent battlefield and place of shelter, a soldier's ally, a partisan's hideout, a hero in songs and a witness to history. The cultural bond with the forest derives from the darkest history of the first settlers in Central Eastern Europe and the environmental conditions they found there. But in contrast to other countries, such as Germany and great parts of European Russia, Polish military discourse ascribes national identity to the forest and includes it in a specific version of Polish history. In this lecture, I would like to refer to this phenomenon of equating Polish national identity with the forest and polemicize through a specific way of narrating Polish history. Finally, I would like to try to reverse the discourse in which most Poles are brought in and offer a less nationalistic, less anthropocentric and less patriarchal version, since today is the International Women's Day, of the history that partly covers the land we now call Poland. And I would like to emphasize that I believe the forest has its own history, which rearranges the perception of our own, our own situation, memory, social cultural constructions, and political borders. So where does Białowieża forest lie, and what is so special about her? The contemporary Białowieża forest, Puszcza Białowieska in Polish, covers the eastern parts of Poland and the west of Belarus, 
where it is called Belovieskaya Pushta, where it accounts for 40% to 60% of the country. So 40% is, um, uh, is in Poland and 60% in Belarus. It is still one of the largest and best preserved lowland uh, deciduous uh, and mixed forests in Europe. It survived for centuries because in comparison to other European countries where forests were cut for farmland, like British um, colonizers in Ireland did, this forest was protected as a hunting ground since at least the 14th century for Polish kings. The scientists describe the forest as the last surviving extensive fragment of a primeval temperate forest in the world. It is a relic of vast forests, which once extended across the European lowland, lowlands and is home to many species that are rare or extinct elsewhere, including wisent, bison bonassus. Is the Latin name, also called the European bison. And but there are other large predators such as wolves, lynxes, wildcats, smaller mustelids like badgers, otters, minks, weasels, ermine <coughs> fishers and fishes, semi-wild horses, raccoon dogs. Reintroduced uh, 50 years ago, but I will come back to reintroduction. Um, boars, foxes, elks, deer, hares, hedgehogs, bats, beavers, and numerous birds and rodents. This photo is a, there is a very nice story behind this photo because it was taken by a journalist who spent about one year to, um, he was somehow of course prepared, but to, uh, uh, to, to have uh, such an occasion to uh, uh, to, to grasp uh, these um, beautiful animals. And the largest predatory mammoth bear was killed off at the end of 19th century, but you can find it in other parts of Poland and Central Eastern Europe. Any attempts, many in the interwar period, to reintroduce the bear to Białowieża forest did not succeed. Wolves were also persecuted, but managed to survive in the eastern parts of the forest. In 2009, there were three to four packs of wolves that did not have enough space to spread, because one pack with a leading male patrol needs around 200 kilometers. The same is true of lynxes, which need more, like, more or less like 300 kilometers. If the hunting in the forest is prohibited, the population of large wild predators could reconstruct itself. This is one of the opinions. The protected areas of the forest are too small to harbor substantial populations of the majority of birds as well, where over 70% of species have below 100 breeding pairs. In the case of trees, that I am very interested in, there are concrete features that make the Ovieja forest typical for rich primeval forests. The height of trees, over 40 to 50 meters, the multi-story profile of tree stands, the diverse tree community, 26 species of trees and 55 
shrub species. They are also strongly diversified because of their age and size. Several individuals are up to 400-500 years old. And I have to show you um, two of them, uh, but um, I don't know if it's somehow um, really very typical for Poland, but I think that we are, uh, in case of trees, we are really record holders in naming them. <laughs> so um, here you have two um, examples of a common name, Maciek, the oak, and the other name um, is, uh, comes from, um, it's the name of a king from 16th century. Uh, and um, the oaks especially are very characteristic for the Ovieja forest. And they are not, maybe they are not very far, but they are very, very high. Um, and um, in case of um, the numbers that I would like, that are really interesting, is that in the USA, there are more or less about 130 so-called monuments of nature. These two trees are also monuments of nature, but in contrast to the USA, where um, monuments of nature are usually ranges of mountains, valleys, um, some even volcanoes, uh, we have names uh, for <coughs> monuments of nature that belong to trees in the number of, can you guess? Any ideas? 35,000 <laughs> individuals, I would say. Because name is also a category that we individualize um, um, here um, parts of environment. And, um, but this, these are not the oldest trees in, in Poland. The Ovieja is very specific uh, because there are a lot of uh, dead trees that I will come back to it. Uh, but there is a tree that I would say people are very stubborn and they don't want this tree to die. This is the, maybe even the oldest tree in Europe. Do you know how old is he? I think it's he because it's you, name Henry. <laughs> Do you know how old is he? It's a you. No, he's maybe not so strong, uh, but, uh, but people, uh, uh, as you can see, uh, built a lot of constructions, and this, this is not the, the only one uh, example, but this tree is really extremely old, because it's 1,200 years old. And it looks like a bush, so it's really, it's really, it doesn't look very strong, very powerful, like, in, uh, like oaks do. So this was the digression because um, in case of primeval forest and coming back to Białowieża, I want to say that very um, important feature of this forest is that um, there are large amounts of dead timber and uprooted trees. But these characteristics, the characteristic of Białowieża as primeval forest um, uh, are undermined. Often the historical value of a tree, like in case of Henry, is more important uh, than biological. Some say that primeval means untouched and undisturbed by humans, and the term is overused in the case of Białowieża. 
It can be added that in comparison to the Russian European forests, Białowieża is only a tiny postage stamp. On the other hand, there are parts of forest that we can climb, claim are really untouched, connected with specialist research, for example, of the soil. And I would like to show two maps. Uh, two maps. I think that they are very manipulative maps. Because the first one is, it presents the uh, Polish part of Białowieża. And uh, the most green, uh, the dark green, are these areas who are, uh, which are the most protected, the strict, uh, strict reserves to some extent, uh, especially especially this part is the uh, it. Uh, people say that this is the heart of the forest. Um, but uh, you can see also some other colors, and um, uh, you can see that. The most protected area um, is uh, in, let's say, it's a very small area. And this is also one of the reasons why there is so huge controversy around this forest, even if it is a postage stamp. Uh, but, um, so this is, the, this is the Polish map. And um, the other map that I found, let's say, the, this map is less Polish because we have also Belarusian uh, side. And you can see that it's much more greener. And um, uh, what does it mean? It means that the um, forest on the Belarusian side is more protected. There are um, more um, developed, let's say, uh, strategies and uh, rules how to protect it. Still, the dark green, it means the, uh, the most strict reserve, but the um, lighter green uh, means, in case of uh, Belarus, a uh, buffer, buffer area. So, um, maybe, uh, uh, maybe if you would like to know uh, something more, maybe we can discuss it afterwards. So, the mostly connected with Polish side of the forest critics of categorizing Białowieża forest as primeval or one that is untouched by man are partly right because the only fragments of the forest um, can be materially proven of giving them such status. However, they are not right when they say that we are part of nature and we should forget about essentializing the virginity of this forest due to some old sentimental contradiction between man and nature. We are biological creatures, true, and also territorially overspread from the environmental perspective, and especially in case of Białowieża, the opposition between man and nature may make some sense. There is another risk in negating Białowieża's remnants of existence beyond human influence, which authorizes the ecological damage. In consequence, the scientists who justify the foresters' logging will either instrumentalize history to prove the extent to which the forest was dependent on humans and their activity, giving the examples um, of beekeepers, hunters, um, uh, and the forest as a source of uh, wood, firewood and how it has been destroyed in the past. So the other examples, rhetorical examples, are 
fires, ambulates, pests, or will even make the obvious claim that, and this is the quotation, none of the forests growing presently on our planet is a primeval forest. There is something really serious that particularly results from this discourse, which is the very pessimistic diagnosis that we humans have lost the outside world. And I think that there are limits to our possession. Try to pronounce the word puszcza, or puszcza, with maybe Russian accent, it's difficult for me, but puszcza, in Polish or in Belarusian. Even in Russian it's the same. I think it is like releasing air. It's like a soft, very volatile word, and which has the sound, uh, the sounds of emptiness and I in its etymology. The dictionaries detect common elements in the meaning of puszcza, which designate an empty, deserted, unoccupied space. It is a synonym of wilderness in Slavic languages. What is the etymology of Białowieska, Bielowieskaya Puszcza? Well, this is more human-oriented uh, um, genesis because according to Belarusians, the forest acquired its name thanks to the white tower, uh, Bielaya Wieża, erected more than 700 years ago, between um, 2076 and uh, uh, 1276 uh, and 1288, uh, near the small town of Kamianiec. The original name of the tower was Kamianieckaya Wieża, named after the town. The tower Wieża in Belarusian had a strategic military purpose to watch the approach of enemy troops. But the word Wieża belongs to Polish as well. And according to Poles, Jan Długosz, who was the author of Chronicles in uh, 15th century, um, uh, there, is a, there is a statement, there is an event described that this building was visited by Władysław Jagiełło, the king, in 1409. But this king was the first Lithuanian king um, that, was on, that was thrown in uh, Poland. We don't know exactly where it was, this uh, building, and who erected it. But there are other possibilities of etymological considerations, such as that it was white because of snow and because it was occupied by the Jadzwiesz uh, tribe, Jadzwingowie um, uh, being the only human tribe uh, mentioned in Middle Ages chronicles and um, the only one that lived in some parts of Puszcza but they were exterminated at the end of the 13th century. I think they, this story is very mysterious and somehow it is, um, uh, it can be also um, uh, uh, manipulated. So, Białowieska, Białojadzwieska, there is something that can be traced in this, in this word because in uh, the old Slavic languages uh, there were some vowels that, um, uh, that disappeared. Uh, from later pronunciation. Now the dominant discussion about Białowieża forest involves the existing problem of logging and other human practices 
disturbing vulnerable Beovisual ecosystem, ecosystem and preventing the authorities from extending the borders of national parks, mainly on the Polish side. Despite the fact that UNESCO put Białowieża on the World Heritage of Humanity list in 1979, the EU designated it as Nature 2000, Special Area of Conservation. The core strictly protected area covers only 105 kilometers. And in Belarus, 157, however, there are uh, those buffer zones that I, that I mentioned. And what is more, Belarus, which is not in the EU, protects the forest more efficiently, as I mentioned before. So here you have two maps. Um, uh, these are the um, further extensions uh, and also some, let's say, uh, proposals of extensions. Uh, but you can see that um, uh, in 2009 uh, uh, there was this extension uh, on the left side and on the right you have uh, 2014. Um, what is perhaps interesting uh, is that um, uh, there, are some, uh, there are some lines in violet on the right side and these are the areas that, uh, that were described in 1992. Uh, as uh, belonging to a national park. And in Belarus, the status of Puszcza was changed in September 1991, so that's why in 1992 there were some, uh, there were some changes on, uh, in this map. By a decision of the Council of Ministers of the Republic, the reserve hunting farm was transformed into a national park its territory was divided into functional zones, which made it possible to apply uh, not only passive, but also active methods of protecting the populations of plants and animals. The most preserved site of old age plantations of the National Park was included on the list of the World Heritage of Humanity, as it is shown here. And uh, there are no shades, the, the green for UNESCO and for Europe, I would say, you know, Białowieża uh, is mm, just simply green. So Białowieżskaya uh, Puszcza in Białowieża was the first object on the former USSR territory awarded such a high rank. In 1993, uh, Puszcza received the status of a biosphere reserve and at the end of 1997, the Council of Europe awarded it with a European Diploma as a benchmark, benchmark institution of nature protection on the continent of which Belarusians are very, Belarusians are very proud. And uh, I found uh, also these uh, stamps to, um, uh, to show it. Uh, UNESCO also explains on their website the Białowieża, that Białowieża belongs to the World Heritage of Humanity because it represents a complex of lowland forest that there are characteristics, uh, um, characteristics of the Central European Next Forest Terrestrial Ecoregion. The area has exceptional conservation significance due to the scale of its old growth forests, which include extensive undisturbed areas where natural processes are ongoing. A consequence in the richness uh, is the richness in that, uh, that wood, so this is repeated, standing and on the ground, and consequently, a high diversity of fungi, 
and subproxidic in um, invertebrates, which are the bugs that live in that uh, wood. Uh, the property protects um, a diverse and rich wildlife, of uh, which are 59 mammal species and over 250 birds, 13 amphibians, 7 reptiles, and over 12,000 invertebrate species. But the flag animal is the wizard. And uh, there are now approximately 900 uh, individuals uh, in the whole forest uh, um, in Białowieża, and uh, some of them are, um, are kept in captivity, but some of them um, are uh, free-living uh, animals. And UNESCO um, summarizes that uh, this amount of European bisons uh, makes up almost 25% of the total world's population and over 30% of free-living um, animals. For me, why there are such attitudes of distrust toward international institutions who want to protect Białowieża is a historical issue of Poland. Why can't this symbolic landscape, entangled with the national and cultural history of Poland, help to foster the protection of nature? In fact, it was described by the prophetic romantic Polish-Lithuanian poet Adam Mickiewicz or Adam Mickiewiczius in Pan Tadeusz, in English Ser Tadeusz or uh, Master Tadeusz uh, or the last Lithuanian foray, a nobleman's tale from the years of 1811 and 1812 in 12 books of verse. Very long title. This epic was written in 1834 and it is a very important text because all posts read this text, and even I remember that I had to learn by heart some parts of it. Um, but what is interesting is that there is a fragment that mm, mm, I copied, and uh, this fragment is a great um, sign, let's say, or some kind of insight, intuition, of environmental consciousness expressed in the national literature. And it is rarely taught at school in this perspective. Uh, it includes a fragment of description of the deepest heart of the forest that gathers and preserves all species and where humans cannot enter. <coughs> and now I, I would uh, read. I will. Finally, behind this mist, so runs the common rumor, extends a very fair and fertile region the main capital of the kingdom of beasts and plants. In it are gathered the seeds of all trees and herbs, from which their varieties spread abroad throughout the world. In it, as in Noah's Ark, of all the kinds of beasts, there is preserved at least one pair for breeding. In the very center, we are told, the ancient buffalo, probably it's um, Oroch, uh, because buffaloes were in in the USA now, they are still, so this is Oryx, and the bison and the bear, the emperors of the forest, hold their court. Around them, on trees, nest the swift lynx and the greedy wolf, uh, wolverine and as watchful ministers. But farther on, as subordinate, 
noble vassals dwell, wild boars, wolves, and horned elks. Above their heads are the falcons and wild eagles, who live from the Lord's tables, escort parasites. These chief and patriarchal pairs of beasts, hidden in the kernel of the forest, invisible to the world, send their children beyond the confines of the wood as colonists, but themselves, in their capital, enjoy repose. They never perish by cut or by shot, but when old die by a natural death. And it's a very exceptional fragment because uh, it was placed in a chapter about hunting. And then we have a um, continuation of the story that uh, um, there is this famous description of hunting uh, bear. Uh, so this is very, very strange, uh, uh, let's say, um, passage because I would um, compare it to a um, description of a strict reserve uh, a place where humans uh, mustn't enter. <coughs> and Mickiewicz, uh, Mickiewiczus um, called this uh, place the motherland of woods. And however, in, in comparison uh, with our times, uh, this sanctuary exists only in his book. So even in case of strict reserves, this parts of Puszcza you can enter and people enter there and pick up mushrooms or other, let's say, some fruit and so on. Białowieża is also a special forest for emancipating the contemporary, monolithic and homogeneous society of Poland, which often expresses racist and fascist opinions toward migrants on the international forum from their colonial history, so this emancipation can uh, be from, the, from uh, Polish colonial history. In this case, colonizing Ukraine, Belarus, or Lithuania before the Russian and Soviet era. Białowieża represents one of the main landscapes belonging to not only Polish culture, but also Lithuanian, Belarusian, and Russian. And in general, it is a former landscape of lowland nature that stretched, of course, across the European plain after the last glacial period and before agricultural human societies developed. It is a landscape historically circled by collectives of people speaking Polish and Belarusian, mostly Slavic ancestors who belong to a vivid, multi-language, multinational, and multi-religious community of Eastern Europe, gathered within the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth until 1795, and this is uh, the map that I really love um, uh, because it shows how big this country was and uh, it had to be very diversified. So um, people could hear different languages apart from Polish, also Ruthenian, early Belarusian, Lithuanian, German, Hebrew, Yiddish, Italian, Armenian, Arabic, French, and probably many, many others. Um, this mononationalistic narration of Polish history is 19th century and interwar heritage connected with the lost independence. Norman Davis um, said in one of interview that it is unnatural 
for the contemporary Poland to be so homogeneous. And I think this idea plays a role for the forest too. My overarching argument is that neither the Polishness nor Easternness of Białowieża protects the forest from being destroyed by humans. The nationalistic or regionalist framework of culture does not operate in Białowieża to stop extensive logging. This might be the most critical and radical point. The idea that comes to my mind is to retell the history of Białowieża from the perspective of the forest, which some would call an environmental history, and some would find um, inspiration to change the national discourse of history in general. Perhaps nature can even help in naturalizing a difficult past, as someone sa said, that Poland definitely went through, because it, uh, it often plays the role of mediator for recounting the history. And uh, I thought that this poem that I'm going to read grasps some of the ideas already expressed and also can move us forward to what I would like to present in the second part, maybe the most experimental. So this is, the, uh, this is a poem written by a very young poetess, Magdalena Lepta, and it is titled The Forest's Border. The forest feels the emptiness of this home and tries to approach sense young rose to gnaw crunchy branches of the apple tree, looks at grows and gets closer by fox to the barns from heavy logs. You have to know that we have with forest unfinished fears and foggy histories. They have to be taught, so these constant walks, listening, collecting acorns, rubbing elder into body, drying mushrooms and herbs. So how do poems remember the forest in our history and how can it be retold? As I mentioned, the history of Białowieża is shaped by, a current, by the current situation and it is about the whole area of Białowieża uh, to be protected as a national park. This is, the, uh, uh, this is the issue. If there are remnants of the primeval forest, then how to protect them, how to argument for? What are the limits of our intervention into the forest ecosystem? Some issues here look like they cannot be solved because our knowledge is not advanced enough or our coexistence with forests is too short. Mm. And um, uh, it, uh, it is also interesting that um, when we think about that we deal with such a type of forest that is um, more than, uh, that appeared uh, more than 10,000 years ago, and uh, there was also a biologically rich area of mixed boreal forest with tundra where such giant creatures in the past uh, uh, lived like <coughs> woolly mammoths and rhinoceros, steep, uh, steppe bison, musk ox, cave bears and lions, giant elks. I should probably get the picture of them, but uh, 
uh, but maybe um, a digression, this uh, giant elk that belonged to this, uh, to this past uh, time was also called Irish elk. And, um, uh, and straight-tusked uh, elephants um, who, uh, who some, uh, some skeletal, skeletons uh, can be found in geological museums, not only in Poland, but, uh, but I saw them in Poland. Timothy Morton coins a useful term when he says that ecology is dark. We don't know how much a forest like Białowieża can heal itself and how much it needs us to intervene. There are two basic visions of nature that collide with each other in the public discourse and predominantly influence the historical narrative about Białowieża. So the first is the forester's impact. The foresters in Poland belong to a huge and hierarchically organized company that is owned by the state. There are three CEOs on the national level with regional directors and 430 forest districts. So it's a really huge company. It is an extremely powerful group of paramilitary government officials with long patriotic traditions. They wear green uniforms dating back 200 years with a, a Polish emblem of the crown eagle that you can see. They are the managers of the forest, but also of the memory, which is presented in the nationalistic framework. And here is a quote. The history of uh, someone who is, uh, uh, who is describing or commenting this, what does it mean that they are the, uh, uh, they are the managers of memory, of Polish memory? The history of the forest becomes the history of Poland and vice versa. There is no Poland without the forest and also there is no forestry and no forest and this forestry without Poland. I know it's very complex, complex but, uh, uh, but to put it simply, uh, the foresters are very proud that they do not only represent forests, uh, but they also represent Poland, history of Poland, that they, uh, they, uh, they take, care, take care of the, of the forest, but also of, uh, of culture, of history. So their service is described as highly moral and devoted to the country, even to God, as Poland and Catholicism are linked in the uh, nationalistic culture. They consider in a paradoxical way that although the forest would survive without human's help, and you can, uh, uh, you can see it, or I saw it in, uh, in the spots on the main website of state forests, uh, that the human has taken gifts from the forest since the earliest known history. Now the forests are so altered by human management that without human help, they will die out. Foresters are proud of the Polish model of forestry, but they can also be critical toward the past. For example, they are, as in other satellite countries of the USSR, aware of the prestige lost during the Soviet era when the dominant management was based on providing wood for industry. This explains why they so strongly accentuate devotion to their homeland and nature and why they adopted a conservative ethos from the earlier times, especially from the 
from the time between the First and the Second World War. The other aspect of the nationalistic attitude of the foresters and their polo, this is the word that I invented and it's very difficult to pronounce, polonalizing practices, sorry, concerns the events that were harmful for the forest when Białowieża did not belong to Poles. This is also the argument for widening the state property of the forest, the right for preemption by the state forests to stay in Polish hands. Hunting is also presented as, and this is a quotation from the state forests website, as an element of a natural environment protection and persistent part of Polish national culture. On the other hand, we have the extreme side of the environmentalists who concentrate on contemporary problems that arise because of the new nationalistic, anti-democratic government formed by the Law and Justice Party in 20, uh, 2016, starting with illegal logging, culling bison, elks, boars, and even wolves, who normally help to eliminate the weakest and unwell individuals of other species. Moreover, the government and its representation in the forest by foresters promote such specialities as bison meat. The environmentalists call for help from UNESCO and the EU, formally with successes, but in practice, the government does not want to cooperate with other sites, arguing that Polish forestry is best developed in Poland in comparison to other EU countries and that the Poles know better. The environmental activists try to represent the forest and its non-human inhabitants site in this emotionally loaded conflict, but the distribution and execution of power are on the state side. I often think about new structural solutions to escape the model of national management of not only forests, but also waters, wildlife in general. Rearranging the historical narrative from the nation human-oriented level to strengthen the representation of the forest, trees, animals, or even fungi, making concrete animals and plants or ecosystems the subjects of history is not just a narrative task. It is about establishing new narrators in a multi-species history, a history that is also post-natural and socio-culturally relevant. Therefore, I am interested in reconstructing the Białowieża forest history focused not only not on human actors, but on the non-humans of the forest, where humans played an instrumental, but often destructive role. There are authors who I find inspiring and very, let's say, uh, also experimental in a way for their retellings, the history in general. The first um, I think about is the French historian Eric Barate, who is the author of a few important books on animal histories. The one that I find methodologically innovative is The Animal Point of View, another version of history, Barate's main argument is, uh, is through presenting historical events such as the First World War to adequately understand animals' experience of war, 
which means representing their stress and fear, but also their attachment to humans. Barate uses different sources like veterinare documents, soldiers' letters and diaries, and literary texts. When I met him in Warsaw in 2015, he described his, work, uh, his, his workshop and how difficult it is for him to find the right style to recreate animal experiences uh, that are in the majority disturbing, but not impossible to imagine for human minds and to be felt in human bodies. I found him dramatically engaging in narrating animal history as if he was a writer, and I recognized his powerful prose, how he changed the historical narration of the First World War that he called the Animal War by taking into account the biggest number of animal victims in comparison to all other human wars, but also by rec recreating their experiences and conditions by following the lives of concrete animal individuals. <coughs> now he published the book on uh, animal biographies, and this is the period of um, uh, European colonies. So he presents uh, a few uh, concrete animals biographies, like one of the giraffe that was transported to Europe. It might look like historians need empathy to describe animal experiences, but empathy has its limits. And as the Belgian philosopher Vincian Desprez, who studied the subjectivity of animals, notes, empathy is predominantly a change in the way we see the world. Such empathy has to, uh, has to activate other animal subjectivities and not only influence someone who empath uh, empathizes, but one doesn't substitute one point of view for another. On the contrary, everything is done by the addition of points of view. I found further inspiration in a very original book, and uh, now we have to uh, um, make some tribute to a very famous female biologist, uh, but also uh, um, environmentalist, Simona Kosak, um, uh, who um, unfortunately died a few years ago, but she lived uh, her whole life in Białowieża and was actively engaged in protecting uh, the forest. Um, uh, the book that I found particularly original and, uh, and interesting for, you, for retelling the history uh, of the forest is titled The Saga of Białowieża Forest. And it is divided into the concrete micro-histories of Puszcza's past from the most ancient to the most current uh, although narrated as happening in the pre present moment, where the main protagonists are mostly animals living in the forest. The human protagonists are described only in relation to the forest and are, uh, first of all, hunters, poachers, and loggers, and then political or other influential figures. So, uh, and this is also a text that is experimental in a way how it was published. The second edition, uh, um, the second edition was uh, published that the present tense is Martin Green, and the commentary um, uh, part that is written in the past is uh, printed in black. And some other pictures maybe of her because she was really, she was photographed by her partner. 
and uh, and I think that he was able to uh, uh, to catch uh, such uh, pics that um, that are now uh, classical um, because of the way how he, she treated animals. So very beautiful um, pics. Um, so I have an example from her saga of Białowieża Forest. Sorry, I translated it by myself as the poem, in fact, that I read. <clears throat> and it is a fragment that describes um, a chase, a very famous chase of uh, King Władysław Jagiełło uh, in 1409 that I mentioned that uh, this fragment belongs to the one of the um, um, one of the famous uh, chronicles from uh, 15th century, and it's also studied at schools. So there is an alternative story that uh, um, Simona Kosak uh, offers, and it is told from the perspective of the bear. The bear had already hidden in the end of November in his bear's lair made from some old limbs of a huge felled tree. The autumn gales covered the lair with leaves and snowstorms with white mound. He just woke up from his dream about bees and honey and wanted to make his bulk more comfortable when he heard just above his huge nut a burst of enraged Yap, scratching and noisy sniffing. So this is how uh, the um, alternative narrative is uh, uh, is presented by uh, by Simona Kosak, and this is how she uh, uh, she tells the story of Białowieża. So in green, uh, you have the present tense, and uh, you can follow the animals. You can feel that you are very close to them, uh, and uh, on the other hand. You have the commentary historians, more objective, let's say, uh, historian commentaries. But I also, uh, I would like also to share with some experimental fragments, uh, but uh, they contain uh, also very uh, concrete, let's say, information. Uh, so I don't feel like a writer, but uh, perhaps I try to use some strategies to um, re-narrate history of Białowieża Forest. Um, so here goes the story. It is known that bison, aurochs, and red deer were bred by Russian prince Vladimir Monomak, who lived in Białowieskaya Puszcza in the 12th century. After Puszcza was taken into Lithuanian possession, princes Troiden, Witovt, Gedimin, and Jagiello hunted there. It is known that after the Congress in Brest in 1409, Jagiełło gathered here uh, food for his huge 100,000 army, who later took part in the Battle of Grunwald against the Teutonic Order Knights. Between the wars, the hands of the Polish kings turned out Puszcza into a place of luxurious amusements and court enter entertainments. The largest animals were called Animalia superiora, including wisens, aurochs, eggs, deer, and bears, but this only denoted a status as game, reserved for royal hunts. 
We had to learn being alert even in the periods of rare hunts. At the end of the 16th century, deforestation began. However, our survival was possible because of the law on the protection of the royal hunting grounds and Animalia Superiora issued in 1577. The 17th century was much more harder. We animals and the forest experienced three serious dangers, which appeared simultaneously, a cooling climate, wars and the mass exploitation of forests. We wissens were at the brink of extinction. Long winters and the deep snow hindered us from finding food in the forest, and the short springs and summers made raising strong offspring harder. Later, kings ordered foresters to count all the dead animals in the forests. Um, Jan, John, the third Sowieski, the king who defended Christian Europe from Muslim Ottoman Turks, who called him the Lion of um, Lehistan. This is the name uh, of um, the ancient legendary Poland uh, leg from legendary Slavic leader Lech and who was highly praised, stopped protecting the forests. Probably because of the wars, he didn't hunt and started to sell wood from our Puszcza. The king's decisions might have been the beginning of the end of the long generations of many beings in the forest. Sobieski's successor, August II Vettin, tried to withdraw from contracts signed by his predecessor on our forest goods, but failed. This Saxonian monarch instead loved hunting and he wanted to regain our Puszcza only for himself, which he falsely called protection. His son, August III, came only once but was very effective and managed to kill 42 of our bison in 1752. The last king of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, Stanisław August Poniatowski, who is considered a great reformer of the state of the 18th century, did not stop the administrator of Białowieża Forest, Antoni Tizenhaus, who uh, focused on the forest profitability in the most aggressive capitalistic sense. Our forests burned again and again, and our trees were cut down, especially pines and birches, and floated down the Narewka and Narew rivers to Gdańsk, the Baltic harbor. After the Polish-Lithuanian state collapsed in 1795, we bison became, and this is a quotation, but I love this expression, a living relict of the time of kings. And that was one of the reasons why, in the 20th century, we were brought back to Białowieża by sentimental Poles in order to restore our population. Because meanwhile, of course, they were hunted, and I will come back to it, and the last bison before reintroduction was killed in 1919, after the First World War. In 1795, Pirovieska Puszcza became part of the Russian Empire. Empress Catherine II Romanov, for the people Catherine the Great, 
allowed any hunting in our forest, but spared the bison from the shooting. However, our zoo community greatly shrunk and our bears and beavers were hunted to extinction. Later, in unfortunate addition, being the patroness of academic sciences, Yekaterina willingly gave permission for the shooting of bison for museums in Europe. She and her neglected son, pa Pavel I, distributed significant sections of our Pushcha lands to their favorites. They greatly contributed to her destruction and fragmentation. More damage inscribed into our multi-layered forest memory and stored in the deepest, darkest places are unknown and unknown to people was caused by an extensive fire in 1811. In 1812, we were cut down by Napoleon's troops who encountered serious problems because of the winter and our lack of hospitality. hospitality sorry. In fact, the whole community was extremely tired from these years of human war. Some relief was brought by Tsar uh, Alexander II, who put limits on the hunting of bison. The emperor himself, although a passionate hunter, hunted in our Puszcza only once in 1860. From 1864, he tried hard to restore our red deer by bringing some individuals from Germany, but it didn't work. Perhaps he was the first man who saw our Puszcza as more than just a resource. Perhaps he was ahead of his times, as he granted property rights to peasants who were enslaved by other people already in possession of land. Perhaps he sensed some kind of freedom as a multi-species right, but this is only a far-fetched interpretation, because he was hated by the Poles, whom he victimized, especially during the winter uprising in 1863. He, uh, we were unwanted witnesses, we the trees, of many deaths, but we also sheltered many insurgents, and um, I would like to show you one of the uh, illustrations, very rare. Um, so uh, we sheltered many insurgents. You can find in our Puszcza the trees who still remember those events and who became graves for human victims and who absorbed their blood. But the Russian Empire, like other human state structures, even the most powerful, collapsed. The last Russian Tsar who hunted in the forest was Nicholas II. Serious damage was inflicted by the First World War. At this time, in turn, our Pushta was under German occupation and valuable old age trees, the hubs of memory, containing the most important information for our adaptation to the past and future hazards were cut down. Four sawmills were built for processing our lost wood and about 300 kilometers of narrow gauche railway, railways were laid for its transportation. In just two years of German domination, four and a half million cubic meters of timber were exported to Germany. 
they were extremely organized and efficient in exterminating our ancient forest. Meanwhile, unexpectedly, uh, as I mentioned in 1919, uh, poachers killed our last bison. Poles, after regaining independence in parts of their lands, created the first Republic of Poland and initiated new ways of protecting our Puszcza. In 1921, they established a so-called national park, national park here, which they understood as being attached to their imaginative community nation, but it covered only 3% of the whole area of our forest. Later, Belarusians will say that this was the park of virgin nature. For them, it was a prototype of the national park of Belowieska Yapuszcza. However, Poles should also be criticized for letting the English Central Central European Corporation exploit our forest. Although the concession contract was later terminated by the Polish government, large areas of our ancient woodland parks were irretrievably destroyed by English men. Unfortunately, some of the forest protection under the new Polish state did not last long because of the Nazi uh, German and Soviet colonization, both during and after the Second World War. However, in 1939, when Poland was invaded by Soviet Russia and partly occupied by them, our Puszcza found herself in the Belarusian uh, Soviet Republic and in December of the same year, it was declared as uh, declared a state reserve, now belonging to the Soviet state. But not for, not for, uh, sorry, not for a long. This war was faster, the Second World War, and more dynamic than previous ones. Fortunately, logging in our Puszcza during this period was insignificant and incomparable with, uh, with the First World War. This was explained by the fact that on the initiative of Hermann Goering, oh, and I have a picture of him, uh, who, like previous kings and tsars, decided to create here an exemplary hunting sector for the most titled individuals of the Reich, the biggest criminals and murders, which our woodland was then uh, preserved for. This is, the, this is the year 1938, in fact, that this picture comes uh, from. After the liberation of our forest from the German invaders in 1944, an intergovernmental uh, Soviet-Polish meeting took place in Moscow. According to the agreement signed there, the state border divided Puszcza into Belarusian and Polish parts. In the same year in Poland, the communist authorities issued documents that implemented the rapid nationalization of most forests in Poland, which from that time were managed by the state forestry, newly elected in Lublin. Forestry as an institution governed by the state became the instrument to maximize the production of wood for over 50 years. And as for the kings and tsars or Puszcza, was a place for hunting for high-ranking party officials and the heads of socialist countries, who later signed the agreement to dissolve the USSR, known as the Soviet Union. And this is the, uh, this is the place 
even uh, even uh, uh, detected uh, uh, in the map. So um, uh, this agreement was signed at the state dacha near Viskuli in Pilovishkaya Pushta on December the 8th, 1991. And this is the end of this part of a very uh, fast um, reconstruction uh, of the history of the forest, uh, how it's linked with Polish history and how it's not. And um, to some extent, um, this might be a childish method because uh, I tried somehow uh, to anthropomorphize uh, the um, animals, the narrators, the trees. But on the other hand, um, I think that a lot of um, inspiration can be found uh, in science. And uh, maybe you uh, paid some attention uh, that there is a very fascinating topic that I don't have time now to develop. It is connected with the memory of the forest and how the communication of plants are now researched. And I think that this might be somehow used in, uh, uh, in our narrating history. Um, because, uh, um, maybe one picture please, forgive me. But uh, because the very recent uh, science uh, uh, shows that uh, trees are in a very special relations with other uh, species like uh, fungi. And uh, because of the fungi, how they recreate, um, uh, how they duplicate, um, and you can see the picture on the, on the right, that there are, there are some structures that are invisible, but um, there is the, the, these structures, very material, of course, they are used to, uh, to store uh, information. And uh, wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful stories are told by scientists about the mother, um, the mother trees, and how um, the memory of uh, such hazardous uh, uh, events like fires are kept uh, in the forest. To conclude. The history of Białowieża forest changes um, the narration of human history, no matter whether Polish, Belarusian or European, from the anthropocentric to environmentally oriented, where we find that those events when people rescued the forest, its fauna and flora, trying to protect it and live with it in some non-destructive ent entanglement, are meaningful. The military history of the forest as a shelter and battlefield is also a case in which we know that human and non-human spaces interfered, but from which we can now pull out the most biologically precious and still vital but rare fragments of the forests. In such environments, there shouldn't be any constructions of the state borders, as in the case of Belarus and Poland because animals have problems with migrating between them. We should think of rebordering our histories and activities which influence not only forests, but also other non-human remnants. And um, as uh, the very, very end, uh, I would like to, um, uh, I would like to, pre uh, to uh, present, to uh, play a video 
um, musical video. It's a clip um, uh, made by a famous Soviet music band from Belarus, popular especially in the 70s. Uh, the name of this band, Piesniary, so from the song. Um, it's a beautiful song composed in 1975, um, and uh, I think it's a tribute to the forest. I hope that you can see the, um, uh, the subtitles in English.
деньги.